With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Alex Zaharoff-Royt is talking tech on today's News Talk TNT. Well, thank you for joining me for the second Talking Tech with Alex Zaharov-Royt program on TNT Radio. I've been with Chris Smith now since uh, March of 2023, and I'm really pleased to have my own show on the network. It's uh, wonderful for you to be able to, uh, well, thank you for joining me. And I've got a couple of great guests today, Dr. Uh, Brett Levy and Dr. Natalia Ilyushina. I'll be introducing them a little bit later on. Now, news this week is that we have new updates for the iPhone, for the iPad, for the Mac, and for Apple Watch. And the most important thing for the iPhone is that they have this new stolen device protection. Now, in the past, if somebody was able to look at your code as you were typing it into your phone at a bar and you were perhaps a little bit inebriated or, you know, other people were distracting you and your phone was able to be stolen by the person who was looking at your code, they could then disappear and they could reset your Apple ID passcode simply by knowing your four or six digit code. Now, of course, if you had a more complicated code uh, that had numbers and letters and special characters, well, that's more difficult for people to remember. But most people don't do that. They use a four or six digit code. So there is now a new thing called stolen device protection, which makes it much harder for somebody to just steal your phone after they have seen your ID, uh, your four-digit code, and then typed it in. And so um, you've got to go into the settings under touch ID or face ID and then turn stolen device protection on. Now, unfortunately, this update is not as yet available for the iPad, even though a lot of the articles on the internet said that iPadOS 17.3 had this update as well. I'm sure Apple will launch this update for the iPad in the future, maybe with iOS 18. They normally wait for some reason to give iPads the updates they give to iPhones first. Uh, it's also very important to note that these updates for all those devices also contain security updates that plug holes that would allow a hacker who, if they're targeting you because you're a human rights lawyer or a freedom fighter, or just because you've gone to a website that's targeting those security vulnerabilities and is contained within some sort of an ad or in some malicious web page, they could then load third-party software, some sort of malware onto your device, and then you know steal your photos, steal your information, steal your passwords. So very important, given that there is no internet security software as such for your iPhone or your iPad to install those updates. Even if you don't use the new music collaboration features, or even if you don't put the Black Pride Month, you know, background that Apple has put into iOS uh, and iPadOS 17. So put the updates on. And if you've got an older iPhone 8 or an iPhone 6S, which doesn't have the latest version of the iOS operating system, there are still some security updates there for you. It's really good to see that Apple has included updates for older devices because people are still using them and you would be completely vulnerable otherwise. People on older Android versions normally do not get any updates once uh, Google stopped uh, supporting that version. So it's very important to check for updates, install them. And if you're on an old Android device that is not getting updates anymore, I mean, you can buy brand new Android smartphones for two, $300 from HMD, the Nokia brand, uh, Motorola, there's other brands out there. And then, of course, you have the more advanced uh, Samsungs and Google Pixels, and Samsung has lower cost devices as well. If you're on an older device, time to upgrade, especially if there are no more updates available. Now, uh, it's also uh, important to note that um, today, well, this week marks 40 years since the introduction of 
the Mac. That was on January 24th. And the Mac, of course, is the computer that introduced us to the graphical user interface and the mouse and the floppy disk and the, the all-in-one design that many people take for granted with their computers these days. We had the uh, update with uh, the Mac that had, it was the iMac. It had no uh, floppy disk. They actually had a CD uh, reader. Uh, originally, it wasn't even a CD writer, at least from memory it wasn't, but they had USB ports and uh, got rid of the floppy disk altogether. And that was in the era of rip, mix, and burn. So that was before you had the music store, the iTunes music store on the iPod. And people used to have plenty of CDs. They'd grab them, they'd mix them, they'd copy them to their i, I uh, iPods. I mean, we don't have iPods anymore. It's the music player in your phone. Uh, and then with the Mac that has accelerated, we now have the new chip inside the Macs, which is a souped-up special version of the iPhone chip uh, that doesn't require a fan for the MacBook Air. Uh, it's got uh, millions of apps available for it. It can run most of the iPhone and iPad apps. Uh, you've got 22 hours of battery life with the MacBook Pro. It's a little bit less with the MacBook Air, but that's 10% uh, of the world's market. Uh, it's only about 10% of Apple's sales. The iPhone is 50% of Apple sales, but the Mac, at least for my money, is the best computer you can possibly buy, uh, the most secure. Uh, I mean, some people using Linux would say Linux computers are a bit more secure still, but if you're struggling on a PC, do yourself a favor, get yourself a Mac. Now, look, there's plenty more things to talk about, but it is now time to have a chat with Brett Levy. Brett is uh, not only the chief technologist for his own company, Beyond Intent, he's also a board member of the Australian Seniors Computer Clubs Association, of which uh, I'm one of the ambassadors, so we have a, a connection there. And uh, for the last year, well, last couple of years, he's been the head of esports for Gold Coast Sports. So, Brett, welcome to TNT Radio. Hey, Alex, uh, thanks for having me. It's uh, really nice great to have you here. Nice to see you. It's weird to be on this side, right? We've uh, yeah, we've yeah. shared uh, hosts and guest hosts on, on other platforms, but congrats, That's right, on yeah. your, congrats on your, whoops, I got Alexa going. I said Alex, so Alexa's going in the background. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the problems where uh, our intelligent assistants, the Google Assistant, Alexa and uh, Siri, are still not as intelligent as we'd like. And hopefully with this era of generative AI, uh, that's actually going to be uh, something that they will nail down. But uh, look, let's get on to AI a little bit uh, in a little bit in the future. Um, Brett, I've read that the esports industry is bigger than Hollywood, a bigger moneymaker. So how popular is esports globally and in Australia? So, yes, I mean, it, look, it, you know, it, it's been around for a while. I think let's just start at that point. Um, I think COVID helped us accelerate the industry. I've mm. personally been involved in it for 11 years. Um, so way before it was cool, you know, or everyone was jumping into it. But you are right. And I mean, to give an example, there's a game called Valorant that only came out during COVID. Um, arguably, it is published by Riot, which are the people that make League of Legends, which anyone that's ever heard of esports has probably heard of League of Legends. Mm. Um, and that grew to probably the most popular game in the world over that period of time, and it's probably in the top five still. So it is. It, it is bigger than Hollywood. Um, you know, we were actually throwing some numbers around the other day. I think it was 2019, if I'm not mistaken, because the Super Bowl is about to come. For all those that don't know what the Super Bowl is, you know, the big American football event. Mm -hmm. And in 2019, um, the Super Bowl had 98 million viewers. And that's on TV, streams, Pretty big. et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. And 75,000 people live in the stadium. 
for the League of Legends, what we call Worlds, which is our final event, there was only 7,000 people in the stadium because it wasn't built. Uh, sorry, it was a built stadium for this event. It wasn't a new stadium. We've had 173,000 people before. Hmm. But there was 2.1 billion, with a B, billion hours viewable. <laughs> so if you take the 98 million um, uniques of Super Bowl, hmm. and the game is two hours, so double it, it's 200 million hours. That's only 10% of how many people watched the League of Legends final. So, yeah, it's massive. Um, you asked a question about Australia. Um, I don't think there's anyone in Australia that hasn't looked at esports. And I'm talking about, obviously, a certain demographic. Mm. Um, we're seeing, funny enough, that NBA 2K, which is the basketball game, is one of the biggest growing games here in Australia at the moment. Um, and I think basketball as a physical game is also one of the biggest growing sports here in Australia. So, clearly, mm. the sports-minded Aussie is uh, moving into esports as well. So you mentioned Valorant, you mentioned League of Legends, and I think League of Legends, I think that might have been one of the games that uh, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried of uh, uh, FTX was uh, famously yeah. playing yeah, all the time. But uh, sure he didn't get the strategy right, did he? <laughs> <laughs> so, but what are some of the other big games that people are playing that you know parents might be worried their kids are playing or that uh, young people are just devouring, aside from Valorant, League of Legends, and uh, N2K Basketball? Yeah, so look, I mean, from a concern point of view, Counter-Strike, which is one of the originals, so CSGO is now called CSGO 2. So um, they've just done a relaunch. What they did, which was fantastic, is instead of changing the game, which some of the other publishers have done with their popular games, they just used new graphics. You know, it's a game that's been around for 10 years or 11 it's years. It's been reskinned, updated. It's been reskinned, but they didn't change anything. So all the skills that have been learned, all the maps that have been learned, the agents, etc. It was just, it just looks better, you know. Um, yeah. Everyone talks about the smoke. You're here if you ever jump onto a forum by Counter Strike, even if you know nothing about it, just go. Oh wow, the smoke looks good, and they'll think you know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, so that's definitely one of the games. It's a violent game. Um, there's another game, Rainbow Six Siege, from the famous Tom author Clancy. Yeah. Yeah. So Clancy put that together. Again, it is a violent game. However, then, you know, that might be the games that parents are worried about. Um, I can talk about that at another time and my views on that. But uh, you get a game like Rocket League, which is a hybrid of soccer and cars. So you play as a, a car inside mm -hmm. this big dome, and you've got to hit this really big ball into a goal. That's the premise of the game. And you can play one versus one or two versus two or uh, up to four. So three versus three, four versus four. Um, it's it's a massive game. It's a huge game, and that's what's nice about the game is it's, it's safe. So there's no age restrictions on the game. So you can start playing at year five, and you can carry on through to the pro leagues as well. Um, so yeah, the, you know, Minecraft, Fortnite. We've all heard of Fortnite. I mean, let's talk about Fortnite for a second. The first Olympics to include esports happened in Singapore last year, and I'm very happy to say it's an Aussie that won it. So his handle is Anon um, Lucas. He's 16 years old, um, and he brought back gold. So he took the very first gold for esports and Olympic Games for Australia. So that's is this fun. which Olympics is this though? This is not the that was Olympics the, the that we all know. Well. They did. They tested this in Singapore, so it's part of the Olympic Games, but it was right. done as a test to see how digital games could be included. There were some other funny daddies that were included in there, and if you ask. Uh, 
myself and some of my colleagues, we don't classify them as esports, but Fortnite most definitely is. You know, and although and, it was a scaled version, it's still Fortnite. And do you think that esports actually ever will be part of the standard definitely. Olympics? Definitely. In fact, we'll see it in Paris. Um, really? You know, for the people that don't know, 2032, it's being hosted in Brisbane. Mm -hmm. um, there's already, obviously, I can't say so too many things, but I've been exposed to discussions of what it is we would be including as an Aussies. Um, so definitely, uh, hands down, you can you can take that to the bank. Uh, we will so see we will see uh, esports at the Olympic Games. Well, you heard it here first. If you didn't already know about it, that's uh, esports has become a sport. You know, it's simple as that. So uh, amazing stuff. Now, uh, Brett, we know that young people play esports, and in fact, there are young people who are now you know millionaires and made a lot of money, become very famous, and so they've been able to tell their parents, "See, all that time in front of the computer was actually worth it." But that's clearly not the reality for for everybody. But what are the age groups that are playing esports? You know, teenagers, young people, adults, seniors. What what are the age groups? So take a guess. What do you think the? I'm going to talk in Australia, and New Zealand, right? Because that's where we are at the moment. What do you think the average age of a gamer is in our territory, in our well, region? Twenty-five. Okay. 36. 36. And these are people that have degrees, have jobs. Um, and I think what we should probably also put in there, the difference between gaming and esports, right? So if mm. you play tennis, you're a tennis player. If you play tennis professionally, then you're a professional tennis player. Esports is kind of the same thing, Alex. So mm. if you game, pick up a device, play, have some fun, you play computer games. And that's the average age that I was talking about. Mm. Esports is when you treat this as your sport, when you're playing it in a league, playing it in a tournament, playing it to win money or sponsorship, et cetera. Um, but, you know, nine out of 10 homes have some form of gaming device in them, uh, as in a console or a PC. I'm not talking about a mobile phone. I think every mm -hmm. single home has a mobile phone, a smartphone. And that's another category we need to look at as well. If we look just north of Australia into, into Asia, um, esports are played predominantly on mobile devices. So they plug them into massive lands so people can still spectate and watch. But some of the biggest games in the world are played on mobile phones. Um, you know, so like Fortnite. Fortnite can be played. Well, could be played. Um, we both know what happened with the Apple and Google stores and Epic Games. However, that's going to change. I mean, that's a discussion for another time with the side loading and new app stores. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if, you know, if you take any of the, so there's a game called, um, uh, it's PUBG, so it's players, yeah. and what's it, players? And players Unlimited Battlegrounds. Something like that, Battlegrounds. I mean, it's, it's, a Fort, it's, a, it's, the, it's the big alternative to Fortnite. Correct. That, now, that's that didn't played get predominantly on a mobile phone, um, mm. as opposed to on a PC or a console, and that's because it's played in Asia. It's a 10 cent publication. That's yeah. massive. It's it's all over the world. There's professional leagues, big prize money. So everyone actually plays. And I mean, if you think about it, maybe even mum picks up her iPad or her phone and plays solitaire. That's yeah. game, you know? Or words with friends, you know, those sorts of words with brain friends. games. Yeah. So, and there is, a, those do, some of those classify as well. So chess has been classified as an eSport because you can yeah. play professional chess and now you can play it online. So, you know, that's why I'm, I say it so emphatically that we will see this in the Olympic Games. Um, I think maybe as the show progresses, we can talk about where the world federations are moving and what we've seen coming out of the regions as well. Well, look, we'll, I'll, we'll talk about uh, leagues and uh, how people can 
uh, find out more about esports in the area. But it's now time for a break. This is TNT Radio. TNT's Misty Winston. She says, how is anyone still talking about October 7th? What Israel has done since October 7th is many times worse than what happened on that day by any conceivable metric. The only way to feel otherwise is to believe Israeli lives are worth many times more than Palestinian lives. How is Israeli suffering still being centered over vastly less significant acts of violence three months ago, while exponentially worse violence and suffering is being inflicted by Israelis right this very moment? If your nation is attacked and you respond to that attack by immediately murdering thousands of children with incredible savagery, then you forfeit any right to expect anyone to give a shit that your nation was attacked. Israel responded to the Hamas attack by doing something much, much worse than anything Hamas has ever done, and in doing so, completely delegitimizing itself as a state and completely validating everything the Palestinian resistance has been saying about the state of Israel since day one. Misty Winston on today's News Talk TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. The benefits of advertising on today's news talk, TNT Radio, should be clear to businesses of any shape or size. It can be accessed anywhere, anytime, by anybody, and is the perfect way to build brand awareness and stimulate digital activity. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Unbiased information. Honest and forthright. News without the misinformation. It doesn't matter what side you're from. What matters is what you say, the truthfulness behind it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. This is Talking Tech with Alex zaharov Thank you for being here. And I'm joined by Brett Levy, the head of eSports at Gold Coast Sports. Brett, how do people get involved in eSports in Australia? And, and what are the leagues that are the most popular? Yeah, it's a good question. That's actually one of the challenges, then that's something I spend a lot of my time trying to do. So the easiest way to do it is to actually start your own group of friends at school. And I'm talking mm-hmm. about year 10 upwards. You know, we talked about the parents early on and, and some of them not wanting to play the game. Some of the schools are very pro esports, others as you know, understandably are not. Um, but the kids are going to play anyway. So I spend a lot of my time with what we call grassroots, and that starts at year 10. For international listeners, that's a 16-year-old, you know, the last second last year of school upwards. Um, get get together with your mates, stop playing online with your mates, you know. And this is the one thing about esports that parents should realize is that the kids are going to be on digital devices anyway. So mm-hmm. by bringing them together and playing, they're actually learning the dynamics of team and engagement as well. Then they move into, you know, physical arenas, esports cafes, and the likes. So get your team together. If you play a solo game uh, like Fortnite, for example, you can sign up. There's, you just Google it. There's a very good outfit that comes out of uh, New Zealand called Let's Play Live. Um, they put together leagues. There's a lot of school leagues. Um, they're welcome to reach out to me. We'll build leagues for them as well. Our mandate is to grow esports across the region. Um, generally, what you'll find as well is the universities are very involved. They they manage and set their own leagues and their own teams. And that's when we start to see the development of you know what we would call a semi-pro or, or amateur pro. Um, so they're not earning money from it yet, but they're just there where the brands and the teams start to look at them um, and want to slap a jersey on them. Um, I think the other thing that's important to to put out there as well, you know, in this world that we live in now where Guys are girls, girls are guys. Some girls aren't girls, but guys and girls and so on. Um, esports is probably the only true sport where it doesn't matter what you are. 
And that's an important statement. You know, there's a lot of people that get upset about people playing in cross-gender sports where it might not be fair because of physical abilities. Mm. There's no physical advantage to being male, female, or anything in between. You know, if you have a brain and you have dexterity, you can game. And that's what makes this industry so good. So, you know, I love it when we see female teams beating male teams or mixed teams beating male teams, uh, you know. Um, up here in Brisbane, we have a, a, an outfit called Team Bliss. Their female Rainbow Six team is undefeated. Um, you know, that's quite a statement. I'm talking about local regions. So yeah. um, anyone that wants to get involved, just jump online and Google esports leagues. You'll find them. There are a lot of them. Um, but the best is create your own and also align with your local university. Uh, a lot of the universities open up their facilities to that year 10 upwards to let them come and play casually looking for fill-in players um up here we run some after after school activity leagues and nighttime leagues as well so there's definitely a way to to find it if that's what you want to get into and i know that uh, for the consoles and for pieces as well but there are now special controllers for the xbox and the playstation that are designed for people with uh, physical disabilities of some yep. sort so it doesn't really matter you know if you can um manage to use one of these controllers you can play it doesn't matter you know, what your skill level is really isn't it well there's a there's a player called broly legs um he, he has very short arms and, and the arms don't work properly i don't know what the medical condition is yeah he uses the side of his cheek on his controller and just his finger and he control he plays um street fighter so it's a it's a fighting game with it you, yeah you playing sideways and he actually controls like that and he does all the finishing moves. He's a pro player. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of videos of him where these guys come with their big fancy rigs and he kicks their butts. Like, you know, he gives them a really good hiding. Yeah. So, Alex, you're 100% right. The only disability is you not actually trying. That's yeah. where it starts. And look, I remember reading in the last couple of weeks of some sort of new controller that you can put into your mouth and you can click and pop and Sony. move your tongue around, do other things. And that's very similar to what you just described for, for that particular player. Sony, Sony was pioneering that. It has yeah. a special ring that daps on top of the, um, the, the Joy-Cons. I think I need to just put that out there as well. Though I'm an advocate of all esports, most yeah. purists will play on PC. So yeah. connecting the controller does have to go through a certain amount of hoops it's not mm -hmm. impossible um i know a lot of people that play rocket league on pc to play at the professional leagues but they use a controller and it's perfectly allowed uh but i think what you're talking about was sony they pioneered that whole uh inclusive you know um controller. Well, there, was, there was something in the last couple of weeks i have to look for it but it was some sort of new controller that that you could put into your mouth and so it was for people who had locked in syndrome but they could still move their head still move their tongue and they could then you know participate in the digital world more That's than awesome. ever before and more than just by looking with their eyes and looking at things and blinking they could actually use their mouth for certain things now um that sort of the the, the mouth the face that brings me to the headsets the vr headsets uh, are people using metaquest pros uh and yeah. uh play, sony playstation vr and what do you think about apple vision pro and that device's gaming potential all right, so let's start with the first question. Unfortunately, VR hasn't taken off the way the VR companies would want it to. And there's a simple reason for it. It's an expensive equipment. Yeah, um, yeah. We'll use that as a segue into Apple Vision Pro, but uh, v a good VR is expensive. And there are games, there are VR titles, and they are supported. Um, but I think we're still a few years away, Alex. I think, you know, if we fast forward five years from now, 
the Ready Player One syndrome, where every house has a built-in VR device or augmented computer, let's call it that way, then you might start to see a lot more VR, AR type play. At the moment, though, it's, it is battling to get traction. And that's the reason, right? It's just the cost. That's the segue into Apple Vision Pro. I Which mean, is you, three and a half thousand dollars US. Well, I mean, it'll be five thousand right? Australian. You and I always yeah. joke about you being the biggest Apple fan in the country, and I think I'm number two. And that's only because you're number one, right? And you were here first. <laughs> yeah. But otherwise, we could have that argument. But you know, I'm not getting an Apple Vision Pro. I don't have five thousand Australian dollars mm. to spend on a computer device that, you know, um, it's not tested yet. It hasn't got. We don't know what it's going to do. Um, it looks beautiful. Would that be the thing that helps us springboard into VR and, and AR games? No, because it's five thousand Australian dollars. Um, yeah, and that's what I was saying. Fast forward three or four years from now, when it's a fifteen hundred dollar investment, sure, then we'll start yeah. to see people immersed. But, but you know, you say that, but people spending $5,000 on a gaming PC is absolutely within the realm of people's possibility. And, you know, with Vision Pro, I mean, you'll be able to buy one from your phone company and pay it off over two or three years. So yeah. don't think it's as uh, out of I reach agree. as potentially yes, you're I, suggesting, I but it is expensive. There's no question about I agree. that. I think they're just going back to, you know, on the on the Pro PCs, and I've copped that ticket a few times for my son, who, as you know, is a, you know, yeah. he's quite serious into eSports. Uh, but you can use it for computing as well and everything else, number one. Number two, this is why people play on console because console is sub-1,000. So you're getting that full experience on a PSP or an Xbox at under $1,000. You know, So we've got to get that price point different, and, and we will see it. I think Apple will pioneer a whole new environment for us with this visual computing. Um, and you know, everyone will copy it. And the mass production and ultimately consumers will win because that's what and, happened and look there's a game called death stranding which is very popular on consoles and that's coming to the mac very shortly there was a huge demo about that worldwide developer conference and that heralds the Mac's return as a true gaming platform. Look, we uh, normally would be finishing the interview by now, but we've got five more minutes. I'm going to take an early break at five at uh, 6.35 uh, local time uh, for us in about five minutes' time. So uh, just quickly before sort of we end, I mean, AI is a huge topic. I'm going to be speaking about that with Dr. Natalia Ilyushina next. But what is your view of AI and how is AI changing the game's landscape? So AI is very interesting for us as it is, I think, for the world. Okay, and again, remember gaming versus esports. The esport is only when there's a fan base. In gaming, I think where AI will really change things for us is that when you have these open world games, so your Elder Ring, what we call role playing games. You know, think pre-computer Dungeons and Dragons, which we now have yeah. Elder Scrolls, Assassin's Creed, even things like Red Dead Redemption or Grand Theft Auto. These Grand are Theft Auto. Yeah. You know, these are names that people in the industry know. If mm. you had an AI engine sitting behind that game, we won't have to wait three or four years for the next version to come out because the AI will start to build an experience for you, for you, like mm. based on where you go. You know, if you race the cars the most in, in your Grand Theft Auto, that's what your journey is going to be. I'm super excited to see what happens with AI and gaming. I really do think it will, it will sorry, it'll be a game changer. Um, but yeah, <laughs> dead joke, but, um, yeah. you know, I think that's where we'll see it. Um, and it's one of the industries that definitely could benefit from it. Cause as I said, when you build this 
big world, which is what the designers do, then populating every little part of it to make it that beautiful experience, that immersive experience, when we talk about VR and going into it, mm. that takes so much time. That's why we yeah. wait so long for the titles to come out. It's been 10 but years I, between I, Grand Theft Auto 5 and Grand Theft Auto 6. Go. But AR would do four it in and five, yeah. months, you know, because yeah. you just put the elements into it and let the engine build it. So I think yeah. it's going to be, and I think the part that's missing, which is also being worked on, is cloud computing. Mm. So being able to play in the cloud where all the rendering and the the big heavy graphic interfaces, that that's why you have to buy these expensive devices. When that's all done in the cloud, um, then, you know, we'll really see that coming to the fore. And, and look, the engine can catch up. When I was at uh, CES, and I've seen this before, Samsung's TVs allow you to connect an Xbox or PlayStation controller, and then you can just stream games directly from the cloud. You do right. not need a console anymore. Right. And as long as you have a decent internet, NBN, you know, fast broadband connection, and we can now get in many parts of the world gigabit connections, uh, you don't need a console. It's all happening through the cloud. The network is the computer, as Sun Microsystems said. Look, we've only got about a minute and a half or so left. Cool. What is the uh, Gold Sports uh, Gaming website that uh, people can go to to find more? Um, so it's it's Sports Gold Coast, which is actually the non-for-profit, um, and there's not really much up there on it. I think the best, Alex, is just to hit me up, go to my website, so it's brettlevymyname.co.za. There'll be links there. Um, my handle is fatcatbrett, so P-H-A-T-C-A-T-B-R-E-T-T. You'll find that for LinkedIn, that for X, that for Facebook. I use that handle every Discord um anyone that wants to find out more about it reach out you know and i do i'm doing work in saudi arabia at the moment which is where the head office of gaming is moving to they've just bought the esl for a billion dollars so it's totally a, it's a global village so you know i might yeah. be on the gold coast but i'm happy to work with anyone anywhere in the world and you have your own show that you do in conjunction with the small business association called technology or technology just yeah. briefly tell us about that cool um yeah so you know, basically, we we unpack tech. Um, the the knowledge part is what we try and do, where we dumb down tech, so we never get into the levels that you and I would go to and get excited about. Um, but yeah, always a review. So I like to review cool toys. Um, I get to play with some really cool stuff, as do you. Um, a little bit of tech news. Um, you know, kind of what you do as well, and then yeah. a game review, which obviously is a personal escape into what I'm doing at the moment. And what's your what's your tagline, which you always finish with or start with? With, with with I finish with uh, keep yeah, we'll start with yeah that one that the end one. one keep your screens clean and your knobs shiny <laughs> and what's the first one what's the first tagline that you, you start the show oh with? we translate geek into regular speak <laughs> well Brett Levy the head of esports for golf uh, Gulf Coast Gaming uh, I, I think I got that wrong but that's okay you can look up uh, brettlevy.co.za thank you very much for joining us today on Talking Tech with Alex out of Royal. I'd look thank forward you, to speaking with you again in the future this is TNT Radio back with Dr. Natalia Ilyushina in a moment our beautiful world is changing withering dying by the hands of those who don't value nature even though we all depend on it for life itself but there is hope Together with caring friends, the Nature Conservancy can restore our lands, heal our waters, and save our wildlife. With big solutions only nature can provide. But every day we lose more of the places we love, and we urgently need to save endangered lands, waters, and wild species. 
The actions we take today will determine the tomorrow we leave to our children and grandchildren. The water they drink, the air they breathe, the beauty they experience. To learn more about how you can help protect and conserve our beautiful world, visit nature.org today. The thing that drives me every day as a dad is him. Every day he's hungry for something. And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that he's a good person. I think the advice I would give is you don't need to know all the answers. It's okay to make mistakes. As long as it's coming from love, then it kind of starts to work itself out. This is Talking Tech with Alex Zaharoff-Royt on today's News Talk TNT. Thank you so much for joining us here on TNTradio.live, your 24 by 7 news source. Now, I uh, have with me Dr. Natalia Ilyushina, and according to Grok from uh, X, uh, she's a prominent researcher in the field of economics with a particular focus on the digital economy, AI, and automated decision making. She holds PhDs and Masters of Economics and more. But look, let's just get straight to it. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Ilyushina and that, Natalia, welcome to Talking Tech with Alex out of right. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, late last year, you wrote about Elon Musk's AI chatbot called Grok, which we just mentioned, which has made a big name for itself in seeming to be as good as ChatGPT, but with a fun and rebellious streak. Uh, it was based on uh, the uh, computer inside of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, that particular book. And uh, this rebellious streak is something that's part of its programming. So what else is different about Grok besides the fact that Elon Musk is the uh, brains behind it? <laughs> well, I think being being in, designed by Elon Musk is a key difference, but um, <laughs> it's unlike most of AI chatbots uh, and LLM models that uh, we all know that they're trained on a vast uh, data. Uh, Grok is trained on uh, live Twitter posts. That's what makes it so, so having so much character, so much charisma. But at the same time, it brings all, all the discussions that are uh, happening even around the um, OpenAI chat GPT about the bias, the fairness, and given Twitter is already a source of a uh, uh, wide range of discussions around free speech, hate speech. So this this whole discussion is kind of floating into Grok. And that's, that's I think, that's what's going to be the main um, difference and will continue on uh, with, obviously, coupled with the reputation of Musk. <laughs> Yeah. Now, when do you think Grok will be open to everybody? I mean, at, at the moment, you need to be a premium plus subscriber to use yeah. it. So it, it's not very widely used yet. There's no yeah, free I, yeah, I'm actually quite jealous that you have an access uh, and yeah. I've been browsing through the post. People people make screenshots of it. I'm surprised it's not out there yet, uh, given uh, Elon Musk's philosophy of free speech, free access, and how mm. most of uh, his um, products are quite aimed of for, but to a broader range of people because it's obviously what we understand. Grok is part of Elon Musk's overall philosophy. Think about it. The portfolio of tech 
companies that they have, the Tesla, the SpaceX, Twitter. So he jumps on the tech that actually leads to some sort of power. So um, if I was Elon Musk, I would have gave it more, gave people more broader access sooner. Uh, having said that, my understanding, the main constraint is that the system just cannot handle um, the the amount of users. Because yeah. you might have noticed even chat GPT sometimes um, slows down or says it's, mm. it needs time until it can handle um, the queries. Yeah. And look, Elon Musk has been losing advertisers. And so he obviously wants as much revenue as possible. And you need to be a premium plus subscriber. So that's about mm. double the cost of the regular blue tick. Now, I've chosen to pay that so I could play with Grok. And it's good to be able to see the differences between Grok and uh, ChatGPT and Copilot for Microsoft and, and Bard and things like Perplexity AI. But look, speaking about um, the, the whole free speech side of things, I mean, you were also, and, and you know, responsible AI, you were also recently a contributor to the Australian government's investigation into responsible AI regulation, their bill. So can you please tell us about your involvement? Uh, because that's such an important part. Regulation is being spoken about everywhere. I'm not really for regulation, but what did you say in this particular uh, investigation? Yeah, I'm personally against overregulating tech, and um, I was part of the submission from uh, ARC Center of Excellence. Um, that's uh, one of the nodes at RMIT University where I am, and um, the submission uh, was quite a large submission. Went into a regulation inquiry, and uh, my three cents there were on the productivity and importance of uh, understanding that um, the technology is a driving force of productivity, which is especially so important in Australia right now, given our productivity within the country has been falling for, um, according to Productivity Commission, over 20 years. And we are on a global scale as well, um, not not the most productive country in OECD. Um, so yeah, that's that's what my was my contribution, and um, it did seem like it resonated in the report that was issued by uh, Ed Husik last week. Having said that, I'm not quite satisfied with the progress of AI regulation inquiry overall. Well. You know, we've got a lot of AI regulation in Europe. I mean, what's your view on the moves by the UK government, the EU, what's happening in America? I mean, where should the regulation, uh, where, where should it go? What what should be happening? What's your view on that particular global topic? Uh, the uh, the EU regulation inquiry is that um, regulation bill, better say, um, that's already in a draft version so far is the most progressive one in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's uh, it's, it has three stage, stages of risks, um, three types of risks, and I uh, say high risk, they suggest to not reg uh, to regulate as much as possible, which we, we're talking about the vulnerable stakeholders like children and vulnerable groups uh, involved, and things like uh, face recognition or uh, very personal data tracking. Um, and that's, uh, that's sensible, as opposed to uh, potentially banning it outright, because um, the, the discussions I'm gathering that's happening in Australia are very anti-regulation, and I'm worried because the, the prosperity of our country can play against us in terms of we will we can afford not to adopt technology and that will um in the short run will feel uh, like safety and in the long run it can actually backfire and make us uh, be seen as a, a country that's not developing its critical infrastructure at all 
Now, in Australia, we have the Office of the E-Safety Commissioner. I'm forgetting her name all of a sudden, but she was a former Twitter employee and she's been very involved in uh, wanting to regulate uh, X or Twitter. And we've also got the misinformation and disinformation bills. And we have the concept of free speech. I mean, popularized by the US Constitution. In the US, the government has to uh, abide by free speech. But for some strange reason, corporations and companies can't. And of course, that's led to the huge schism where uh, corporations have been uh, censoring people. And we had the whole kerfuffle where Twitter was censoring many people. And of course, Elon Musk had to had to come along and claim to be offering free speech, even though there still seems to be a lot of censorship on, on Twitter. I was uh, critical of Nikki Haley in the US because I think she's wasting her time uh, fighting against Trump. And I uh, said uh, very simply, I said, I thought she was scum. <laughs> I mean, that, that was just, I, I've seen far worse said on uh, X about all sorts of other people. And I got a message from uh, X saying, oh, We've reduced the reach of your post because we didn't like it. And um, I fired off a tweet to uh, you know, post to Elon Musk saying, you know, what what is going on here? I mean, what are your views about how free speech is being regulated? What what do you think about how Elon Musk is handling it? Uh, what are your views? Well, in my view, and I'm uh, totally pro free speech, and I think that's a dri uh, driving vehicle of democracy and uh, free market Absolutely. economy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, even with all the regulation, all the all the moderation there, Twitter so far is the biggest vehicle of free speech. So if anything, um, even with all the criticism and all the moderation, Musk definitely made a huge step forward in terms of making a Twitter free speech when he acquired it. Uh, Twitter has been criticized for being a hate speech for quite a while. And uh, we probably remember about a year and a half, there was a Mastodon, another decentralized app um, that um, was meant to be a Twitter rival. And there was quite mm -hmm. a lot of them uh, coming up, which uh, Blue Sky, which became uh, hugely popular in a short period of time, but then they all died out. And when when you go back and that Mastodon uh, app went viral like within a week, uh, yeah. And everyone was saying it's the death of Twitter. It was a year, year and a half ago. Do we even remember where it is? No one yeah, uses it. And, and yeah. I did. I did go back to it because that was my most one of the most read article when I when I wrote it. <laughs> because obviously, obviously, I'm like, what what's on earth happened to this this whole hype? And um, the feedback of people who were who did go uh, migrate on Mastodon from Twitter, they just said it became too stuffy. With the, with because the moderation was so detailed and so uh, deep Strict. that people just were ending up talking just into in groups of two. Yeah, crazy. Well, the echo chambers of, of yeah. people with without a, able to you know not able to share their opinions without fear of being censored. I mean, censorship is the killer. And uh, of course, I mean, you're from a, a country that uh, used to be the Soviet Union where there was no freedom. <laughs> I'm I'm uh, you know my. <laughs> My parents uh, originally, my grand, great grandparents were from Russia. My parents were born in China. Uh, I've had to escape two generations of communist depression. Thank God I'm in Australia, which you know still is mostly a free country, uh, and uh, we've got platforms like TNT Radio and you know all the good things that Elon Musk is doing, clouded with uh, people like Linda Yaccarino, who is from the World Economic Forum, and I don't know what she's doing over there, but I mean it's Linda Yaccarino's ex that sent me the message telling me off for uh, claiming that Nikki Haley wasn't a good person. Uh, so, I mean, uh, I'm a bit dis dismayed and disappointed about that. And I have been shadow banned in the past, but if I do the, the shadow ban tester, I'm in the clear at the moment. But look, let's get back to um, AI for a moment. Now, AI has been predicted to eliminate a lot of white 
white-collar jobs. And the layoffs at Google over the past month or so may give uh, that notion some uh, credence. So as an economist and an expert in labour markets, amongst other things, what is your take on AI eliminating uh, jobs? Well, layoffs in Google, I would not... uh, They've probably been laying off people quite frequently on other occasions. And in general, you know, when we talk about any sort of layoffs in the United States, mind you, it's a country that has uh, one of the highest staff turnaround in the world. Uh, So if we start attributing those things to every event that happens on the day, there's no no cause. I would would struggle to find causality there. Um, uh, But going back to you, uh, the uh, the AI eliminating white collar jobs. I totally do not agree. We had ChatGPT uh, already uh, for over a year. Uh, no one uh, in particular lost their job, and I'll explain it to you why. Um, sure. The fear is understandable because history showed from Ladis movement to um, more things happening in the fifties that um, they they were job losses from technology. For example, there was a when we um, uh, there, were, there were telephone operators when they invented the system that eliminated these girls that uh, there was actually predominantly women there, lost jobs. Mm. <laughs> yeah, all the switches, exactly. you know, switching all the different cameras. But yeah, see, that got, that got that, all automated. Yeah, that switching. Notice now, that was one function. So yeah. before, back in the days, employee was corresponding to one function, maximum two. Yeah. It's not like that anymore. So labor market transformed and each person, when you hire them, they they there is a huge list of skills that are required from the job and also a huge list of skills and um, co-op, um uh, that, that people offering. So there is no way a, any AI is capable to eliminate a whole variety of, say, 35 skills, education, um, qualifications, emotional soft skills that a human being has. Uh, I'm not saying it's never going to be possible, but I do not see how it's possible now or in near future. What it can do, it, it can actually um, make a person, a worker or small businesses more productive and act as a colleague and augment and improve productivity and um, just save time eliminating the most routine and arduous tasks. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, technology has always added to human knowledge and capabilities. You know, why would it be any different with AI? I mean, human creativity will be aided by AI. We have these co-bots, these robots that can help people on production lines or to do different work. We have the exoskeletons. Now we have a uh, exoskeleton brain. I mean, the, the AI that can help us to do all these different things and, and uh, you know, eliminate the repetitive and boring tasks and automate things. I know that there's something called robotic process automation, which is something that's taken off over the past few years. A lot of these uh, enterprise resource planning and customer relationship management type systems were able to uh, plug into older, uh, earlier Windows-based systems that required a lot of clicking with the mouse, and they're able to sort of automate that entire process and uh, accelerate those processes to give the person that's still sitting in front of that computer sort of superpowers in comparison to what they used to have to do before, which was the equivalent of switching all the different uh, cables across. So I also don't think AI is going to, at least in the short term, take anybody's job. There was some sort of an AI news network I remember hearing about. I mean, uh, I heard about it. There was a big thing on Twitter for a couple of days, and then I haven't seen anything since. And uh, given that AI can create uh, TV, you know, video now just by text, how can you trust any of that is, is going to be true? <laughs> now, look, 
let we're, we're running short on time. We still have a few minutes, but the next big thing is this concept of AGI or artificial general intelligence, which may do some of the things like have human empathy and some of the things we were just speaking about. So when do you think that uh, a sentient AI, a living machine, is going to be real? A few years, a few decades, or, you know, when do you think? It's a, it's a good question. So you can program... Uh emotions just replicating what human would have responded now but mm. whether whether it is an emotion is it real emotion or not because if you ask something if you say to chat gpt that you're sad it will cheer you up but again it's a you know it trains off the existing data so it just repeats what would normally be the most so it's a statistical model that just repeats what's the most probable answer all, all mm. over the internet to that question uh in that sense yes it's possible now uh but in the sense that it's act it generates a feeling i i i think it needs a whole new system not a, a machine learning a regression analysis statistics style um technology so when do you think we might then uh, have like a sentient ai robot uh, <laughs> that is like optimus from from uh uh, you know, from Tesla, or uh, like the Isaac Asimov-style robot that is indistinguishable from a human being. This uh, this is quite far away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, coming back to the present time from those sci-fi visions, uh, we have spoken about all the different uh, AI regulation, um, but uh, let me ask you about the different AIs. Which is the favourite AI that you use? Is it ChatGPT? Is it Google's Bard? Is it Perplexity AI? Is it Copilot from Microsoft? And uh, have you seen that website called There's an AI for that .com, which has thousands more? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of them. Look, I've um, there's, but most of them doing the same thing, doing the same job. And even ChatGPT, like if we were talking about how Grok is different, but you can pro ask ChatGPT to talk in that style, you know. Mm. Um, to be vulgar and so terrestrial. Yeah. yeah, I am so far sticking to um, uh, ChatGPT paid version. That's most most frequently used. I use Copy AI sometimes because uh, ChatGPT started feeling um, like when you do the text, it starts being progressively more obvious that it's written by ChatGPT. So I want to avoid that when I edit my writing. So what, what, what was that program, the, the other GPT that you use? Uh, Copy AI. Copy it's AI, yeah. More, it's more human-like. Um, and I don't know for how long it's going to be doing that, but... <laughs> yeah. and, and, and what about the multimodal uh, use of ChatGPT where you send it videos and pictures and you know, it's not just text. Are you using uh, GPT in this multimodal way that is now possible? I, I, I'm using the data stuff in ChatGPT. And actually, um, yeah, that's nothing I wanted to mention. So with the data thing uh, and sending pictures and everything, there's a bit of a data concern there. Yeah, there and, is, yeah. Um, because we started, we have a, a project with my industry partner uh, in the marketing firm, Begay, where we train people to... Uh, um, how to use data, uh, how to use AI to analyze data for the market um, advertising and market segmentation. And we came across a problem where people were complaining about data privacy because you cannot really chuck data into chat GPT. Uh, you can, yeah, right, yeah. but... They, There's no know, guarantee. It's not going to be used to train other people. You, yeah. can, if you are, ever ask chat GPT what it's doing with the data, they say, no, no, it's all private. Don't don't you worry. But we cannot yeah. say what's going to happen in the future. 
so and for that we actually um there is a there is more we use uh, other software we use for that purposes uh when we need to uh explain to, when we need to help people but with the, the that they have data privacy concern for using open source um soft software and there's a custom made uh chat gpt like version of it called psych s-i-k-e um so they they have a second layer of encryption there in the system so the data that goes uh to to the llm system already encrypted and they they made by there's a company called not centralized that doing that but obviously there, there are others uh but that's what we're using so yeah now yeah now as a uh, somebody who subscribes to chat gpt the paid version hmm. we now have as of the last couple of weeks custom gpts we have a gpt store which is like an app store yeah of different GPTs. So have you used any of those custom GPTs and will you be doing any work at RMIT to create your own custom GPTs? Uh, there is a work uh, at RMIT um, to create a GPT to do interviews and service at the moment from, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, because, you know, when you interview people or do service, there's a lot of repetitive work. And um, yeah, again, that that data plug plugin in, in, in a store, and others I'm looking at using that could potentially help me because I'm I'm an economist, which is I'm really data heavy, uh, survey mm -hmm. data analysis and sorts. But yeah, in the next step, yeah, to do the interviews. But that's again, um, whether ChatGPT can make an interview happen. <laughs> Whether it can well, look, be human-like yeah. enough to interview people? Well, we've yet to say. I mean, look, the GPT store has only been available for a couple of weeks. People are still experimenting with it all. So there's plenty of scope to see that. And, and look, ChatGPT 4.5 and ChatGPT 5 is supposedly around the corner going to come sometime this year. So no doubt it will get more human-like and will be able to do some of these jobs with more uh, accuracy and empathy and all the rest. Uh, Natalia, where can we find out more about your work? Is it on X? Is it on LinkedIn? Is there an RMIT website we should go to? Uh, LinkedIn is the best source uh, so far because I do post all the things I do um, uh, through RMIT and I'm also involved in that blockchain community where there's a lot of AI happening so where also I learn from industry partners because that's what we noticed with AI it's very um, it's uh, it's almost like a, you cannot do research on AI without linking with what's happening in the industry because they're so quick to adopt it. And that's again why I'm so anti-regulation because I feel like I will have nothing to research if they're regulating. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, look, it would be it would be wonderful to be able to speak to you on a monthly or on a regular basis about what's Absolutely. happening in the industry. And uh, I mean, I know that you've been getting a lot of media exposure and interviews, so you should be quite used to this now, but you're <laughs> on the cutting edge. So it would be great to speak with you in the future. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know. It would be my pleasure. Yeah. Any final things that we need to know about uh, about your work? Uh, yeah, I have a bit of, um, as I'm a social scientist, I also do a bit on um, um, gender um, uh, research. And with AI, mm -hmm. I'm quite interested now, how you mentioned about how it's going to steal our jobs. I want to do uh, delve next thing into how AI going to steal housework from make 
from women. <laughs> and <laughs> my last paper in Australian Economic Review, in the conclusion, the policy recommendation, this is where I touched upon, that just got published in December. So, and that's where, where the next thing, so uh, a bit of a social implications of technology. Uh, that's, that's an exciting part. On, on, on at the moment for me. Well, look, it's going to be a repeat of the 1950s. We had all those labor-saving devices. But look, thank you very much for your time, Dr. Natalia Ilyushina, RMIT Research Fellow. Up next is the wonderful Kate Shemarani. This is TNT Radio.Live. Thank you. Thank you.